0: I have uh, the privilege of living in Lamb's house, born called the Springs, and I think I named my second son Lamb. <laughs> I haven't got a second son yet. I just have a second daughter. <laughs> anyway, I praise God for being here, and I'm sure with Anthony, we are so privileged to just fellowship with you all during this time. You uh, know, it's such a joy to meet you men because. You can sense that you, you are men of God who love God, who want to live for Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just different. You know, you can almost sense that as the world gets burned down, with all the smoke, yet you guys will stand as beacons of light for Jesus Christ. And it's a privilege to be here. And uh, I think you can stay here longer. But, you know, we still say, I think the last message just in case man doesn't want to leave.
1: <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah, well I don't feel I have too much to say to you because uh, this is the first time in my life, as I can remember, that I speak after War Hendrickson. <laughs> now, I feel like I can handle Bill Jackson, <laughs> but
1: uh,
0: it's tough having uh, Warren Hendrickson. So I'm not sure I have too much to say to you, but I will share a little bit and uh, to give you a little bit of perspective of the ministry outside of America. At least in Hong Kong, and uh, you know, when I, after I arrived in Hong Kong, and uh, also sometime last year, I find that everybody start calling me Lee, you know. <laughs> and uh, even Wong, you know, Ra, he calls me Lee, and then later he calls me Lee. You see, sometimes after calling me, they are a little bit embarrassed, but you know they keep calling me. Lee. <laughs> and uh, of course, for you Americans, we Chinese look polite, you know. Some of you guys were calling me Anthony. Anthony is the other guy. (laughs) So when I came to America, I had my revenge because I started calling Winston (laughs) Wall. And then uh, some time ago, I had a chance to be in Texas, and I was living with this brother, dear lovely Christian brother, by the name of Norman Miller. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a dear Christian brother in a battery uh, business. And he brought me to his home, and we live in this beautiful big home with a swimming pool at the back. Now that's a big deal for us in Hong Kong, you know, we don't even know what a swimming pool looks like. But anyway, Maung <laughs> has a wife, a lovely wife, who has a twin sister, the identical twin. So, when I went to his home, we were sitting down on the, on the garden, and, and then he says, My wife is down in the pool with her sister. So after the film, they both walked up and he introduced me to his wife. And he said, this is my wife, this is my sister-in-law. And then he walked off and then he told, and then he jabbed me and he says, don't they look alike? Yeah. They are
1: identical
0: <laughs> So I told him, I said, I don't know how Americans were alike to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my revenge. But anyway. Now I hope you can understand my English because uh, we speak with a different accent and I'm sure you'll find it even more difficult than Gail Jackson.
1: <laughs> but
0: I'll go slowly and if you cannot understand what I'm saying, just uh, raise a hand and Winston will interpret for me. <laughs> right, now before we start, we we'll just pause and ask the Lord to release it to us, uh, prepare our Father, this morning we come to you and we really want to fill your heart. We want to hear your words. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you prepare us and let your spirit speak. For it is only this we want to hear. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I start, I must bring my greetings from Lee Yi and New King. You know, they think of you very soundly. And sometimes, uh, we had a hard time with them because we really feel that, you know, we are keep of you guys all the time. <laughs> and. uh Sometimes, you get depressed just thinking of you guys. So if you really love you guys, and uh, I bring my greetings from Lee. Now what I want to say this morning, and it's only very brief, so that you can have a lot of question time, <coughs> is about the early church, and about the world. Now I'm sure you know that, if you study the history of evangelism, there's never been a time, there's never been a period in the history of the church, when the church is so successful as the early church did, I'm sure you know that. We read in the Bible and his story says that. You I have a quotation here, sort of a rough quotation from Will Durant. You may have heard of him. He's a guy who wrote a big series of books called The Story of Civilization. Now I've never seen this series of books before and the only man whose home has this book is more Henderson. You know, if I own this book he would get me for decoration to show you that I'm divorced. But anyway, this is what real we'll says. He says there is nothing more impressive than this simple band, working slowly and quietly, wondering love for hatred, mercy for the fraud, compassion for the destitute, humility for arrogance, telling a message, giving the all, and finally, toppling the greatest empire known to man. Christ and Caesar, met in the arena, and Christ was. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, guys, this is, shall I say, the golden age of evangelism. Now, but why was it successful? How come it worked? How come this simple band of men managed to win the world for Jesus Christ? And surely we don't know why. Because we want to do it again, don't we? You know, we want the world to know. We want the world to understand, to know. And to praise our Lord. Now this morning I'm going to give three suggestions and we'll look into the Bible in the first book of Thessalonians. Now I would like to submit to you three suggestions, or three reasons, and then i to the fourth one, which I usually don't add if I'm in Hong Kong. I should maybe, but anyway, let's look at this. Now the reason why we turn to this book Thessalonians, the first book of Thessalonians, I believe, is because this book talks about the implementation of a model church, if you can use the word, or the, a model ministry. All right. Now, if you study the book of Acts, you will get an idea of the overall global strategy, of what they did, where they go. But in the book of Thessalonians, Paul wrote to a church, they were just started, and as he revealed what he had done. We can have a good idea, the secret of their success. And this morning, may I suggest three. First of all, I believe is the conduct, is their conduct and life of the early church. Is the conduct and life. Now, obviously, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 1, the Bible says here, the second part of verse verse 5, Paul says this, Just as you know, what kind of men you prove to me among you for your sake? Now, obviously, when the Christian message came to Thessalonica, it came with a life that matched the message, isn't it? And let's look at verse 9, he says, For they themselves who thought about us, what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a true and living God. No one need a messenger, but those who heard the message, their lives were definitely changed. look at verse 6. You also became imitators of us, Paul says, and the Lord, Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have seen affliction, I have seen tribulation I work in a hospital. And as I walk through the corridors of the hospital, you can always hear weeping, people crying. Because of death, because of pain. And I'm sure you have seen that to yourself. But let, 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 let us look at verse 6. He says, tribulation with, with joy. Now that kind of combination can only attract attention. Isn't it? It is tribulation with joy. You know, then as I fellowship with you I, one of the great things I appreciate is that you guys are so open to share your pain. You know, we Chinese need to learn from that. But of course, we are less confrontational. You know you what? Know, work days, men prefer competition over confrontation. Well, for us, Chinese, is competition and no confrontation. <laughs> 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 but here again, as I was sharing over the table just now with better here, the Christian message is most effective when it comes with a tone of joy that is in the midst of pain. It is just come with joy, but if it comes with t- the message of joy, comes in a milieu of pain. Man, that is he hope. You know, Dan he Hope. And I believe many of you here have the message. Now, that's what happened in the early church. The message came. There was pain. But there was joy. It was a definite change in the life of this message. I got in Singapore. It is sort of a little bit away from Hong Kong. and. Uh, then I went to Hong Kong because the Lord led me there and slept a lot there in Hong Kong. And a couple of years ago I heard that there was a revival in Singapore. You know? Businessmen were coming to know Christ, top businessmen, you know. Men who, who were probably some of the richest men in Singapore, they were coming to know Christ. Giving testimony. So there a couple of years there I have a chance to go back to Singapore for vacation. And I was chatting with my my relative, my brother in law, who is a stockbroker. And uh, very much immersed in the business world. Now he's not a Christian. That's fine. He's a Christian now. Because uh, last year he went, a, he became bankrupt. And uh, for the first time in my life, I have a chance to really talk to him and nail him down. And the last day, you
1: know, <laughs> on the last
0: day before we left, he accepted Christ. And you know, it was the first time he brought me to the airport when I left. And it was the first time here, his wife, through at the airport, with tears in the eyes as he left. You know, praise God for those things. <laughs> anyway, I was talking to him several years ago, and, and he was telling me about some, some dealer dealer, you know, some, a couple of guys who were controlling the market, doing inside trading, you know. And these names crop up, and I hear these names, you see. And, and I thought I've noted it down in my mind, but, it didn't mean too much to me.
1: After that, I left
0: my brother-in-law, and went to fellowship with some Christians, and he was telling me about this revival in Singapore. And then the came up. And they were the same names. You see, they were exactly the same name. Remember you know what, gang? Before the revival, if you ever go to Singapore and do business, be careful. Yeah? You may lose a shirt, be careful, because of these men. Now there's a revival. And Christ came, the message came. They turned to Christ. But gang, if you ever go to Singapore after this revival, Be careful. Because you may still use your shirt. Now why am I saying? You're coming from a pagan background. You see, I grew up in a pagan home. And you see, when I became a Christian, I was asked to leave the home. You know, I was excommunicated. My father was a war hand But, uh, you know, I became a Christian. And was worth work, I was asked to leave the home. But you know John, coming from a pagan background. Coming from a pagan background. If the message of Jesus Christ doesn't change your life, for us, it is not worth a time. It must change life. And that's what happened in the early church. There was a definite change in life. You know? It was real. And that's why it was irresistible. <laughs> Suppose again, we have to ask ourselves, is our life changed? I can see many evidence of it. But you must any Christian movement, they were successful because there was a definite change in life. And we must have one another because it's tough to live a different life from the rest of the world. But that's what, that was the secret. I can go on, but then it is so important that we must have a definite change in life. So okay, number two. Because the conduct in life, I believe one of the secret of success was the characteristic of the ministry. The way they do their ministry now, all this thing I'm saying is just reinforcement. I'm saying sure you all believe it. But if you look at the scriptures here, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians 1, this is what Paul says. He says, For the word of the Lord has founded forth from you, he told the Thessalonians. The word of the Lord has founded from, from, forth from you, Verse eight. not only in Macedonia, and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to towards God has gone forth. Paul says, so that there is no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception you had with you? Now let's go through this again. The as you know, is in northern Macedonia. Alright? And now Paul has left and is now in the south, Achaia. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, you have preached the message so well that it has spread forth to every place. And you spread down to Achaia. And when you came to Achaia, we didn't have to say a word. We didn't have to call a gang together and say, you know gang, you know what we did up there? What happened, Paul said, was, these people tell us what happened. Now, who were the messengers of the gospel in those days? He was the ordinary, simple, plain, ordinary layman like you and me. You see? Now, I read something in a book called Evangelism in the Early Church, which I think means a lot. I don't know where you come across the book. It's called Evangelism in the Early Church by Professor Michael Green. And this is what he says. Now I'm saying that I'm going to ask you to preach the gospel, some of you may say I have no gift, you know, and I'm not believing him. And you're right, you know, if I have no gift, I better not be believing him. You know, I go up and preach, nobody will listen. But this is what Michael Green says. Michael Green says that the secret of evangelism in the early church was that the ordinary believers went all over the world and he used this word. Beautiful word he says, and they gossiped the gospel. Gossiped. Now, you don't need gifts to know how to gossip. Right? Just ask a
1: wife. <laughs> She'll this. <save you. laughs> now, but
0: this is what happened. You know, this is exactly what happened. These people were out there just gossiping the gospel, Telling everyone, you see. And this was their secret. That's why they were successful. Indeed, Michael Green says, for more than 150 years, they possessed no church buildings. And they were just out there. In Christ. Now that's why he did it. Now you told me the book of First Peter, you're turned with me. This is amazing. First Peter chapter one. Chapter mm-hmm. two, sorry. The book of First Peter. Mm-hmm. First Peter, right? Yeah. Chapter two. Now I grew up in a, in a situation whereby there are many religions. When I go to school there were Islam, Hindus, Buddhists, Confucianism. You know it, see. I grew up in a multi-religious community. That's how I grew up. And I asked to ask a question, what do you mean about Christianity? You know, I've asked some Western missionaries who came, what do you mean about Christianity? And the first answer was, Jesus Christ. That's what you need about Christianity. There's a Saviour. That's what you need about Christianity. And for so why I believe them. anyway, you know, if you think there's a thing about it. That's not unique about Christianity. Now, of course, Jesus Christ is unique, don't get me wrong. Alright? But the concept of a God Savior is not unique. We have that in Hinduism. Okay? You have that in other religious stories. In fact, it's a quite common concept that God comes down to save men. Now, what's you unique about Christianity? Let me let me point out to you that it's in first Peter chapter two. Now these are unique. Verse five he says, You also as living stones have been built up as a spiritual house, for holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable with God through Jesus Christ. You know, every religion that I am confronted with, including Judaism by the way, including Judaism, all of them are sort of a place that they sort of set aside and say, if you the not to God, go there. Some of them call it a mosque, we Chinese call it a temple, you know, the Hindus may call it a shrine, but every religion in the world that I know of, has no place set aside. you want to get close to God? Go there. Alright? Now what does the Bible say here? In Christianity, there is also this place called a temple. But you know where it is? Right here. See? Right here. Now, over every religion I know, every religion that I am confronted with, always has this unique group of men, including the Old Testament. This special band and man, they call priests. They're young, close to God, you go to Him. You know what I mean? Every religion, I couldn't think of one that I'm involved with that doesn't have this. We come to the New Testament, and we do have that too, don't we? And the Bible says, a game is here. You see, Christianity is the only religion, gang, that puts your place of worship and the priest together in one. And that's you! You see, it's so unique. And this is the very thing that is practiced by the early church. They have no temple, no church building. Did you know what it means? In fact, the earliest church you can find, you know, the is reported, was in the 2nd century, somewhere in Turkey. And when they open up that church, the earliest church you can find, it like a the is like a hole. The church was like a a you know, in pews and so on. It you was know, taking away another. You know? And the early church understood this, I believe, and they practiced it. And not only that, there is no priest. Every man was a priest. They were out there gossiping the gospel. Now, there was a dentist I minister to. He's about 56 years old. And he has been everywhere in the church for 20 years. You know? And uh, he came to me one day and he said, you, know, you know, I have been everywhere in the church for 20 years and I'm all dried up. You know I. It's empty. I, I have no joy in serving the Lord. So he started doing Bible study together and uh, and, uh, and he began to read the scriptures and begin to see many of these things we talk about. And one of those days I say, hey, why don't we do some evangelism? He says, great, let's do some evangelism. He was all scared, you know, shivering and so on. But anyway, he finally uh, was able to get uh, an evangelistic Bible study going. And there was this labor inspector who was in the study, very clean. And uh, so, the time came and he said, let's, let's ask him for the decision, alright, let's, let's make an appointment. So he said, well, let's just use my club, this dentist said, you know, mm-hmm. he's a member of this jockey club where they go, do horse racing. So he said, let's do that, alright. Now he, he, he told me, I, I don't do horse racing, just I'm a member,
1: alright.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so be careful of these Christians, you know. But anyway, so we booked a table in the restaurant and we made an appointment with this labor officer and he came. So he sat down and, uh, and then we started sharing Christ. You know, after a little while, we got into the subject and started sharing. Christ. He was very keen, very interested. I showed him the brief illustration and, and this dentist gave his testimony, you know. And finally, at the end of it, you can see that he's touched. He's about 42 years old, really touched by the message of Christ. And so he said, say, uh, hey, uh, you like to accept Christ? And I was a bit insensitive by asking you like to accept Christ. And he says, you know, this is a doggy cup, isn't it? Yeah, this is a doggy cup." He says, can I go to some church or something to accept Christ? Now I wasn't sensitive enough because I didn't realize then that, you know, Chinese sort of have a religious feeling about religion. And, he,
1: you know, you
0: was know, kind of rough. Later on, he breaks out and gives his testimony. You know, I accept the Christ in Jockey and... Ducky and <laughs> 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 but because I a long story short, this dentist friend of mine, who is an elderly man, was very sensitive to the issue. So he said, you know, yes, let's not. You know, I was saying, no, no, don't worry. There's a little room at the side there. You know, nobody will know. You know, you accept Christ there. <laughs> you know, and he was sensitive to it. And then this, then he says, let's get out Let's go somewhere. You know, let's go somewhere and think about it. But anyway, we got into a car and we drove off. And we were driving this labour officer home. All right. So finally, we arrived at his house. He lives in a flat, as, as most of us do. And it was dark. It was about 10 p.m. at night. So we parked the car just to his flat. And he told me, he said, you know, you know, I. I really like the message, you know, he, and he says, sad thing about it, you know these lady, this non-Christian said sad thing about it, Are you sure, think about it, you know, so I thought he would leave the car and go home and think about it and he called me again, I said sure, think about it, but to my surprise what happened was this lady off, took off his glasses and closed his eyes and was thinking about it in the car,
1: <laughs> <See>?
0: <laughs> so for 10 minutes I didn't know what to do, see, even want to thinking about it, <laughs> He opened his eyes, put at the glasses, and he said, Hey, you know, uh, I don't want to accept Christ. You know, and for the first time in this elder's life, full of excitement. This man bowed and said in my car, all ducked around, and he accepted Christ in his heart as he Savior. You know? So we shook hands, we were happy, we and I tell you, I've never seen the elder so happy. You know, so finally he woke up so I drove this elder home and uh, you know luckily there was a seat belt because I tell you he was... <laughs> <laughs> he was one excited guy, see. <laughs> now you know why? Because God has called us a priest. And we had just fulfilled his destiny as the priest of Jesus Christ. He was all joy. You know gang, we are all priests. And, and you can do nothing else. I remember seeing an American movie called Rocky IV. You see that here? Rocky IV.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, anyway, I've seen a movie, you know, it's about this, this American, you know. He could have, he could as well be a Chinese, but
1: anyway. <laughs> it's about
0: this American who uh, wanted who to fight of, in all places fight in Russia, we were a big Russian, you know. And, and he was not for the money, his wife was angry with him, and there was this scene whereby he came home and he had just went on TV and agreed to fight with this Russians. And the wife was asking Rocky boy as I understand, why? If why Rocky, why you he do it? You know? Why? And this is what Rocky said. He says, I am a fighter is my destiny, I can do nothing else. Again, you are a priest of Jesus Christ. And until and unless you fulfill your destiny as priest, you will never enjoy the full joy of the Christian life. So it is our destiny. Alright, now we better move on. You <laughs> know, I can't finish. Point number three. Why were these men successful? Well, besides conduct of life and, and a full understanding of what it means to do a ministry, I believe it is the care of the new Christians. The care they have for one another. Chapter 2, 1st Thessalonians. Now I'm sure you understand 1st Thessalonians. In chapter 2, Paul reviewed the evangelism. For instance, in verse 2 he says, Chapter 2, verse 2, 1st But says, we already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, you know, We had the bonus in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God, amid much opposition. Now what's that? That's evangelism, right? Agree? Now then it goes down and suddenly, you know, totally unaware, suddenly Paul says, having got a fine section for you, verse 8, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own life. Because you had been very dear to us. And as we go on, it was very clear. He was talking about follow-up. Okay. Now you have been with the navigators. This is one of the favorite passages of the navigators. I'm sure Matt will tell you that, right? (laughs) That sort of back up the idea of fallout, and it's true, is that. What is interesting is as Paul goes from evangelism to fallout, he goes as if it's a natural thing. You know, there was no topic in chapter two. He just flows. See, you know, it is one single, same process. Now that's a t- Chinese thing we have, right? Uh, "生仔要养仔." Alright, now let me interpret that. It simply means if you give birth to a child, obviously you have to bring it up, right? If you give birth to a child, you know, I mean, simple logic. That's an all Chinese saying. I right? think just simple logic. You know, if you give birth to a child, obviously you have to bring him up, right? Agree? Now, but today in the ministry we develop evangelism. There's a committee for evangelism, and then there's a committee for. Follow. up. Mm-hmm. Now that's not how the early church did it. Lord, they naturally, sincerely, lovingly care for those who enter into the kingdom. Natural. Let's look at some of it. Verse 7, he says, You are among you as a mercy mother, verse 7, tenderly cares for you as our own child. Now I can understand that it is written by my wife about our child. But it was not. it was written by a spiritual man, talking about you, Convert. You know? And look at this, verse 8. Because we are, we have a strong affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you, not only the Gospel, but our own lives, he says. Because you are dear to us. In the medical journal, there was a record of one case, in which a child was trapped under a train, a two-ton train. You know what I mean? And the mother lifted the 2 tang but with her bare hands. You know? And understand is an ordinary woman. But she lifted up these two-tang-sage <laughs> and rescued her, her child. Now, you know, easy in medical journal. But as a result of that, she broke every bone in the body. She broke a belt. And I think she almost died. She was paralyzed. Now, how is that so? Well, because, as you know, we have pain fibers in our muscles that limit us, you know. But if what you want to do becomes so overwhelming, you forget all your pain fibers. And she lifted this chain with a bare hand. Now that I submit to you is a mother's heart, right? That is a mother's heart. Now what did this early Christian say? To these new converts, he says, I just don't want to give you the gospel but my very life. Is that amazing? This is not from a mother to a child. I can understand that. But this wow. is from a person to another. I give you my life. Let's go to verse 17. He said, but we, brethren, having been bereaved of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. That's a Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, you could enjoy it no longer, he says. We thought it best to be left agents alone and send Timothy to see you. About two years ago, I had an opportunity to go to England, alright, uh, for some medical business. And I thought it would be nice to bring my wife because she had always wanted to see the Queen. So, uh, great. So I, but it was an expensive trip and we couldn't afford to bring our children, alright. We thought, well, we'll leave them at home. There were some brothers and sisters who were willing to look after them. So, we left our children at home. So, I just brought my wife along. And I tell you, you know, once my wife arrived at London, we spent so much on the phone that we could have brought our children along just to <laughs> And she was in tears every day. You know, again, this is the beauty of a mother's heart, isn't it? See, you know, when we go to see those London bridges and so on, all she could be thinking was the time when the phone would come. You know, she was thinking of the children and and so on and so on. Now, I can understand that. And look here. Look at here. It is not the mother saying this. It is Paul saying, you know, how long to see you? And because he couldn't take it anymore, doesn't he sound like a mother? You know? And all this is speaking about been the spiritual parenthood of these new Christians. Amazing. Furthermore, let's look at verse 4. Sorry. Let's look at that. verse 19. Verse says, For who is our hope? Or joy, or crown, or exaltation? It is not even you, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. For you are our glory and joy. You know, when I was a kid in high school, or we call it secondary school, I had a chance to sort of uh, sing, talk my class and, and I remember going up the podium to receive the prize. I was pretty proud, you know, I was happy. But about two years ago, my son also got a prize at school. So I was invited, you know, as a parent, to participate at what we call a speech day, where the, the prize was given away. I never knew it. But you know, when I arrived at that speech day, I was so proud. You know and I, I never, you know, I never realized I could be even more proud and happier than when I myself went up there to receive my friend. You know, when he mentioned my son's name, Walter Sido, uh, Walter in, uh, YK, that's my son, all right. And as he woke up, boy, man, you know, I tell you, that's
1: <laughs> my boy, see, <laughs>
0: you know, I no, 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 that's my son, see? No, that's my son. That's my boy. And I don't say Trump. You know, he's my son. He's a poet, You know, who is my God? Who is my pride? Isn't it you? You know? Isn't it you? Now, gentlemen, I believe that one of the secrets of the early church was they were willing to give their life to love the young Christians or to give their life to one another. Now I can see that occurring here. And it's got occurring. But you know, I was having a Bible study once with a group of men and women. And, uh, and I remember a story. There was one guy by the name of Jonathan that I sort of helped nurture in Christ. And he was an orphan. You know, he grew up without having any parents. And this is what Jonathan said to me. He said, you know, when I get married, and he's married now, he says, one thing that will surely happen is I will make sure my son will not go through my experience. You see, he will not be an orphan. As long as I can help it, I'm going to be a good father. I can understand that. You see, I will not allow my son to experience my faith. So I was having this Bible study with this group of men and women. And then I asked them, I say, how many of you, after you come to know Christ, can sit back and say that you have someone to care for you. Just like what Paul described. How many of you? And among all those couples, not one raised your hand. Okay? And this is what I told them. I say, That's right. That you must not allow your spiritual to go through the same thing. And it can only be prevented if you will go on now and father your spiritual children. You see? This this spiritual ultimate must stop now! And the only stop if you do something about it. Now, one secret of the early church was that they really, honestly, sincerely care for the new Christians. Now, I want to one Now, so let's summarize a little bit. What, what's your secret before I go on to the fourth point? Well, I believe it might be unusual, we are doing it here. The secret was that it was just an ordinary band of laymen going out there sharing the message, as best as they know how, and really genuinely caring for one another, just as Christ had cared for them. You know? And you know something? I they changed the world. They rewrote history. And I believe we can do it again today. Because... Now one last point, and I'll close. You know, Graham, I believe also that those early Christians had a commitment to make what they believe into a worldwide movement. One reason why today, you know, as we study history, one reason why they were so infected in those days, I believe, was because they had this commitment to make sure what they believe become a worldwide movement so the world can hear Jesus Now it's not hard to find scriptures to support this Colossians 1 says say, When we preach, teaching every man preaching every man that we, pre- that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus Right? Every man, see? Now Romans 15, Let's that's to Romans 15 This is what Paul Romans chapter 16 verse 20, passage. And thus I aspire, Paul says, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, Not where, where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. This is exactly what Paul You see, I aspire to preach the gospel, Not where, where Christ was already but rather to preach where, his name was not heard before. Now I believe that those early Christians had a deep commitment to mix sure and message goes around the whole world. Now how do I know they are committed? Many reasons. But this is one example. If you are studying the Acts of the Apostle, you know that it was written by a guy, a doctor by the name of Luke, right? And then there were seven passages that we call the We Passages. W-E, We. You know, We Passages. And because of this, he knew that Luke himself, the author himself, was actively involved in the mission of winning the world for Christ. You know? Now, let's look at those three passages. Chapter 16. And in chapter 16, verse 9, we have a very random passage. It's called the Macedonian Call. And it's also because of this, I believe, that is why that, uh, you know, you American brothers knew the gospel before we. The Macedonian Call. You know, Paul was standing there at 12, hmm. and he had this vision, asking him to go on to Europe. I'm sure you know that. Now, and the Bible says this, verse 11. After hearing the call, the Bible says, Therefore, put it out to sea, from Therese. And then he started appearing, we, Alright, you get it? We ran. Now, what did he do? What happened was, probably Luke, leaves in Therese. And when Paul came, he joined Paul, and we went together to a town called Philippi. I'm sure you know that. And in Slipai, they had a great ministry. You know, the jailer accepted Christ. <laughs> Can you believe that? You know, the jailer accepted Christ. And then uh, they, they cast out demons from this, uh, this, you know, this woman. And so on and so on. Now, the Bible says that in verse 40 of chapter 17, the end of the, at the end of the Philippi ministry. The Bible says, And they went out of the prison and enter the house of Lydia, alright? And then chapter 17 verse 1, if you can follow me. And when they had traveled through antipolis. now, they left Philippi, and the we disappeared. now of I believe, what happened was, after the Philippi ministry, Paul told Leo, hey Leo, why don't you remain behind and help the brother and sisters. And Dr. Leo says, great, I'll do that. And so when he left Philippi, the weed disappeared. And he was Paul again. Now, follow, follow with me. Chapter 17 was the second missionary journey. They went out to Corinth and ended the second missionary journey. Go to chapter 19. That's the ministry of Ephesians. Acts of the Apostle.
1: right?
0: Acts, okay. yes, yeah. Sorry. Acts the Apostle. We go to chapter 19 and that's the Ephesian ministry in the third missionary journey. Now then, you come to chapter 17. And the Bible says that after Ephesians, Paul went on to Europe, to Macedonia and he was going back through Philippi and throughout and so on. Let me look at verse, um, let's see. Let me look at verse 5, alright? And he says, but these have gone ahead and they're waiting for us at Thrace." Let's see. And we sailed from Philippi and went on to Thrace, and then on to Jerusalem. Now I'm, I hope you are with me. Okay? Now this is what happened. Paul, after about four years, now goes back to Philippi. And then the Bible says, as if it's just a matter of fact, no big deal. Luke joins him on back to Jerusalem. You follow me? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a doctor and I understand this. For us, you know, as doctors, we establish a career, be it in a hospital, in a university, or a clinic. It takes a couple of years. You know what I mean? We set up a clinic, set up business, and uh, and then uh, we started building our business, and usually about the third or fourth year, that's where the, where the big bucks
1: are. <laughs> right? And uh, we, we
0: established everything. Everybody knows us, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we okay, see? you don't have to worry about it anymore. Now the Bible says, Paul took Luke from Therese, left him at Philippi, you know? And then four years later came along, and that's where the big bucks were coming. Paul says, hey, how about going here to Therese? and on to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, as is a matter of fact, and we, you know, I don't want you to be on close on a train and say, I'm sorry, gang, you know, uh, no more appointments, <laughs> you know, when will you come back? I don't know, it all depends on Paul, you know, he will ask what Hendrickson. and, <laughs> you know, now what I'm trying to say is, gang, the reason why Luke wrote it down as a matter of fact, was because they were a band of committed men. You know, they were committed to the task of making sure that the world was hear Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, and I ask myself at the same time, are we committed? How many of you will be willing to leave your business after four years? Just at the peak. Close it down. And move to Hong Kong, Hmm. or Vietnam, or or, or the DOE. Now, let me tell you, Missionary says that by the year 1990, 80%, from 75 to 80%, of what's left of the Great Commission will be closed to traditional missionaries. There are just two big blocks left the Chinese. Which forms about 60 to 70 percent of what's left, the Indians and the Middle East bloc. And all these are close to traditional missionaries. Now that's why it makes you laymen so important. If God is going to finish a job in our lifetime, it must be. We have no choice now. It must be a movement of laymen by like you and me. Now, but are we committed? Are we willing to leave our, our lovely home and go and bring a message to the lost message that they may know Christ? The so, church did that. You know? A close go to Jesus, great, I'll do it. No big deal. See? Now are we committed? 80%, let me repeat, of what's left of the mission field by 1990, will be close to traditional missionary message. Now there's more of this. If I were to ask the standard pastor or Christian worker in Hong Kong to say, is "Go to a, a new area, go to Macau, and start the ministry," if I were to do that, and I'm sure probably you understand it, the standard Christian worker will go to Macau, and the first thing he do is to look for a place to start the church. You follow I me? Mean? He will go look for some real estate. You know, we don't use that term over there, but that's one thing I learned from land. You know, they look for some piece of real estate. In Hong Kong, all my estates are real. So,
1: <laughs> but anyway,
0: they look for some piece of real estate, and they build a church. They put up the sign, you know, First Baptist Church. And mind you, they do that in Hong Kong. You still call the First Baptist Church, the First Presbyterian Church, you know. <laughs> but anyway, and you preach the gospel in the church and hope that people will come. It's a common model. Now how about you men? Now, I think believe, you believe, if I were to ask Dave, uh, Dave Jackson to go to Macau, well probably he will look for you, i too for it, home. <laughs> but I'm sure the first question Gay will ask is, where's the men? Would you? Where are the men? Where are the people? You know? And I'm sure Greenstone would go to Macau, the same question. He's not doing, his reflex, right? You know? he a say, where are the men? Where can I find a captive audience? Where are the people? And instead of a come model, it will be a go model. Right? Now beloved, this is the only model that will work for many countries in the world. Because you are not allowed to be a church. You are not allowed to set up the pulpit. You know? And for many people in Christendom, they think that if there is not a law, there is no ministry. If only they knew. If only they knew that the best ministry occurs in the marketplace. Amen?
1: Say amen. amen to that?
0: Now, not many people know that. And because of this, what, as I understand, call you men, the Second Reformation? You heard that before? The Second Reformation. Isn't it nice? You know, I always know why you call the Second Reformation. Because when I came to America, I realized that you two have a Pope a prophet and so on. By the way, the First Reformation, Martin Luther took the scriptures and put it in the hands of the laymen. And I tell you, if you have been to Germany, you will touch your heart. Because you go to south, those old churches, you can still see the groove on the floor. You know, the groove where the curtain was. But you used to draw the curtain, and the priest is inside do whatever it is, And when the Lord's Supper is dished out, only the priest took the bread and the wine. You know why? Because they say this crude layman will spill the wine on the floor. And because of transubstantiation, you can't pour blood Christ on the floor, right? And in those days, real laymen would go to church and just watch the priest taking the bread and wine. Martin Luther came along. He tore those curtains out. And as Francis Schaeffer would tell you, Right at the place of the group, they put a table. And you no know one was on the top of the table? It was the Bible. You see, the first Reformation, Martin. You know, for the first time, I believe we are going to bring the ministry to the land. But in really history, I'm sure you also know that after the first Reformation. For the next few hundred years, those men, Luther, Calvin, Ringley, all of them, were so engrossed with domestic problems, with fighting, with doctrinal issues, that for the next couple of hundred years, the Reformation only remained in Europe. And nobody knew. The Roman Catholics were having the heyday of Lutheran. The judges were going out. And even today I will tell you that a Roman Catholic Church is often, in many countries in Asia, much stronger than a protestant church, in numbers and in commitment. Because for the next three hundred years they were so engrossed. They forgot that the Bible says you have to let the world to hear the message. If you have read all the writings of the Jesus Christ in those days, they used to tease the Christians. You new know, protestant talks about saving the lost, but it is real Catholics who are going up and giving our lives. You know, today we have the second Reformation. As I look around this retreat, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed because you guys are wrestling with problems in America. You are codifying into the, in the terms that your, your colleagues, the non-Christian people can understand. You know, this is important. Ah. That's what the first Reformation did. And it's right. You should. You must. But, gentlemen, You know, for the sake of those of us outside America, do not let this reformation remain the last. You know, it is your task, it is your sacred commitment for Jesus' sake that you make this layman movement, a world movement for Jesus. Will you do that? It is your sacred commitment. I close with two stories. Do you last know what I'm trying to say? About six months ago I was in Canton, China. You know where Canton is? You know, it's just a, across the border from Hong Kong and it's in mainland China. And I was there because there was this man who kept bored to, to, to begin a ministry in China. And I was there to give a talk in university and then he invited me to join him with his gang on Sunday service. All right? Now anytime he says, you know, can you leave the Lord's Supper? I'm sure I'll do that, you know. Now let me tell you, when you go to China it's tough life, you know, for us at least. Uh, I'll spend a night sleeping on a hot hot you know, hot wooden bed like this, you know. And so this morning I was already and uh this is the case. This is a small group in the home. And when they came, my friend who was leading the ministry, asked them, saying, uh, are you all free today? You know? Do you have to go off screen? And he says, No, no, no. You're all free. No problem. And I thought we're going to talk service. See, I was hoping that he would put on his free coat or something, you know. But they just went are all talking, see? Just talking, you know, gossiping <laughs> you know. Just talking, see? Only talking. So I was waiting for my turn to to lead the lost supper, see? They are going to for about forty five minutes or half an hour, Very nicely, my friend, the friend of mine said, hey, uh, you know, this cat here has got a song prepared, you know. Why don't we ask the teacher? And everybody agrees. So he teaches the song, and they sing a hymn to praise the Lord, in Chinese, of course. And then, right through our head, he says, you know, we've been doing Bible study, and uh, I'm sure some of you have some good stuff to Why don't share. What do you say? share So they share, and they pray a little bit, you know. And then finally, I have a guy here called Tito from Hong Kong and he will, you know, lead the Lord's supper. He will worship the Lord. And so I did that, I took up the scriptures and, and he has a cup of wine ready, you know, Chinese wine. And uh, we had a bun, you know, we call that Chinese bun, mantou, you know, <laughs> We call that. And then we sat in the house, you know, facing one another, you know. just After about one and a half hours of warm fellowship, we sat there breaking bread. And you know, gentlemen, I never had a better hour of worship in my life. There we sat facing one another, not in the core pews of the church. But there we sat, you know, in this home. Knowing everyone, we just sat what we had in the week, of the sorrows. We just sing and hymn to praise the Lord together. And then face to face, with people we know, you know, heart to heart, we broke bread and worship the King of Kings. By the time we were over, you know, all our eyes were wet. We had just had an experience of real worship. Now after that they left, you know, you said many of them don't leave. They stay out in the house, they play games, they chat, you know, man, it was fantastic. But then I went out with this friend of mine, and uh, we were walking down the streets of Canton, and, and I said, hey, tell me about it, you know, man, I think this is fantastic. Tell me, what, what is your philosophical background to all this? Everything you know I came to China, he says. And most noticed of these Chinese goes to two kinds of meetings. One they go to class. And when they go to class, they listen to a lecture, they take notes, you know what I mean? And as good Chinese students, they will just behave themselves and the morning the teacher are looking the other side, they will go to sleep. Holding a pen as if they are still taking notes. Alright? They're used to that, see? The Chinese are used to being you know given a big long lecture. And you just sit there and take it. Then after class, you see, all these Chinese people will go down to the street and you see them talking to one another, having fun through the night. Now, for any of you who have been to Asia or to the third world, you know this, right? You know, after hours there, sit all these men, singing songs and, you know what I mean? Just talking to one another and so on. And my friend says, he says, I have a whole blank piece of paper in China. Now, I have two options. But I have decided that when I invite them for a worship meeting, in their mind is to go there for this good, nice, warm fellowship. And not to another class. You follow me? And I want to reproduce this in time, all over the land. Now that I submit to you it is a commitment to the world to make this message known. Now what are you do to say? You see? Now, I think I have no time, I better stop here. But all over the hand, in America, and across the world, they are waiting for this ministry. You know? Red this says that the urgent need of the hour is not E1 evangelism, which is just evangelism with your peers. No language or cultural barrier, no geographical barrier. But the need of the hour is E2, which is a cross-cultural and language barrier, and E3, your god berries. Now, as I look among you, I can see that there are many of you who are who are people and real estate, right? Now, that's good! Nothing wrong with that. See? Let me assure let me you, that's good. But, uh, how about some of you crossing some of those berries? How about some blacks? Sexual workers. Now, it doesn't come easy. It's difficult. Let me tell you, when I go to Campbell and do ministry, it's difficult for me. You know, it's tough. You know, I, I embarrass people because I don't know the queue. But beloved, you must bring the message out. You must. There will be some of you who know some construction workers, truck drivers, and you must. It is more difficult, but you must. There will be men like you, like me who has to cross geographical barriers. And struggle in Hong Kong. Let me tell you, stop. tough. Do you pray for him? You must. He it. Now gentlemen, this is the message I want to leave. The early church was committed to make their region a worldwide movement. Are you? Will some of you be willing to say, Lord, what will you have me do? Not all of you, obviously. But I'm sure God will call some of you. Some to do you too. And some of you to cross this land, this beautiful land. I don't want to leave here. But God will cause some of you to go to Asia. To India, to the Middle East, especially when you know that 80% of us left the Great Commission can only be opened by guys like you. Now where are you? Where were you before the last year Christ? Make a sincere and sacred commitment to make this layman's movement a world movement that the world may hear his voice. In Jesus' name, shall we pray. Lord Jesus, you came 2,000 years ago leaving heaven's glory, leaving the comfort of heaven, the bosom of your father and die for us on the cross. And now, Lord, you say, as my father has sent me, even so, send I you. Speak to us, Lord. We know that there are many hundreds more yet to hear your message. Doors are close to traditional missionaries. Let us go. And let us play a part That the world may hear your voice. Believe it now. Amen,
1: Lord.